0: You're listening to an audio message from Palm Vista Community Church. If you would like to check out more resources, please visit palmvista.org. And today's message is entitled, A New Wardrobe. A New Wardrobe. And our text is Isaiah 52, verses 1 to 12. So please be turning there. Today is Palm Sunday. And we celebrate Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem on his march to the cross where he sacrificed his life to save his people from God's righteous wrath against their sins. On the cross, Jesus took the tattered rags of his people's sin and God's wrath rightly expressed on that sin and gave us the beautiful wardrobe of his righteousness and God's favor that his righteousness receives. On the cross... Jesus gave his people a new wardrobe they could never afford on their own. Isaiah 52, 1 to 12 is about that new wardrobe. And here's the question that drives this text. Here's the question for you. Will God's people exercise faith to pick up, put on this new wardrobe of Christ's righteousness, will you? Will I exercise the faith daily to pick up and put on the new wardrobe of Christ's righteousness? You see, Isaiah fifty-two one to twelve was written to God's people in the fifth century B.C. This was God's holy people, with a promise to be His holy people in His holy land. But currently, they were they found themselves in an unholy land in Babylon. As exiles, and they were so aware of their sin. They were dressed in the tattered garments of their sin and shame, and they were desperately in need of a new wardrobe. See, the truths that God speaks to Israel here in Isaiah 52:1 to 12 are truths that we need today because we are God's holy people and we're called to God's holy place. That's the definition of the kingdom of heaven, God's people in God's place. But oftentimes we find ourselves, when we look in the mirror, dressed in tattered garments of our sin and shame. We're so aware of it. And God's word to us this morning is to exercise faith, to pick up and put on the new wardrobe, these garments of righteousness that he has given us in Christ Jesus. So let's read about it. Isaiah 52, please turn in your Bibles there. It's important that you read these words. This is God's word. Isaiah 52, verse 1. Awake, awake. Put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus, says the Lord, you were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus, says the Lord God, my people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there. And the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now, therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing? Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually, all the day, my name is despised. Therefore... My people shall know my name. Therefore, on that day, they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns, the voice of your watchman. They lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart. Depart. Go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her, purify yourselves. You who hear, you who bear the vessels of the Lord, for you shall not go out in haste and you shall not go in flight, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. There are days that I have to get out very very early in the morning. And so what I do is the night before, I lay out my wardrobe. And typically what I'll do is I'll put it in the bathroom so that when I wake up at oh dark 30, I can kind of tiptoe into the bathroom, close the door, turn on the light and get dressed without waking up my sleeping wife. In today's text, God wakes us up and God calls us to get dressed with the wardrobe that he lays out for us. This is the righteousness. If you're a Christian... That is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he sends us out to proclaim our God reigns. That's the main point of our text on the screen. Wake up, get dressed, and proclaim our God reigns. Wake up, get dressed, and proclaim our God reigns. Point one, wake up and get dressed. If you look here in this scripture, you will see that Israel thought that they needed to wake God up to their dilemma. They complained that it was his fault that they were in exile in Babylon. It was his fault that they were separated from him. Sometimes, you know, when times are dark, it's just easier to complain to God that it's his fault that all this is happening, isn't it? I can relate to that. But God speaks to them in verse 1, awake, awake. You see, God reminds Israel, hey, I'm wide awake to your dilemma. Actually, I am the one that sent you into Babylon. Now, I know that opens up on a whole nother aspect and questions. But in these verses, these first six verses, verses 1 to 6, God actually says, I sold you for nothing into Babylon. You know what that means? It means, A... That they still remain his property. See, selling somebody for nothing, what he did was he gave them to Babylon. They were on loan to Babylon, but they remained his possession. Now, I know that's hard to wrap your brain around, right? Hey, God, why would you do that? But here's the main point. Guess who's in charge? God. God. Now you can ask God why He would give them to Babylon, but you cannot ask, "Hey, who's in charge here? Hey, did Babylon sneak in and capture God's people and take them the way into captivity? Hey, as the people back then would have said, you know, Israel, your God is so weak that the God of Babylon, Marduk, was able to overcome your God, and so they captured you and brought you into Babylon." And God says, "No, no, 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 no. I'm the one that sent you there. I sold you for nothing. I don't need to wake up to your dilemma. I put you in your dilemma." So whatever dilemma you're in, you know, complain all you want to God. But just remember, you're there because God has you there. You're not there because some evil force kidnapped you and got you there. All right? There is no boogeyman. God is in control. Nothing can happen to you, Christian, that God does not allow. That's comforting to me, particularly when I consider that this is the God who came to this earth as a human and died on the cross for the sins of his people. Okay. All right. So he reminds them this and he says, you're my possession. And he says, I am going to redeem you. See what he does in verses one to six. If you look there, he reminds them, don't you remember when you willingly went to Egypt in the time of Joseph and then Egypt put you under bondage for 400 years. Didn't I save you out of that? Remember, This text here is written in the 500s or for the people that are in the 500s B.C., 500 B.C., okay? Abraham, Joseph, and all that happened around 1800 B.C. God delivered them out of Egypt in 1400 B.C. So almost 900 years later, he's saying, remember, I delivered you when you went willingly to Egypt. He also says to them, and when the Assyrians attacked you. I delivered you from the Assyrians around 700 BC. Remember, he's writing to people in 500 BC. So 200 years earlier, I delivered you. And I'm going to deliver you from your captivity in Babylon. But here's what I want you to hear. All of those deliverances, all of those acts of salvation, all of them point to the act of salvation, the deliverance that Christ Jesus would perform some 500 years later on the cross at Calvary. You do know that the early church preached the gospel from this text. If you're going to preach about deliverance from captivity in the first century church, you're preaching it from Isaiah 52, 1 to 12. If you're going to preach the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God, which is what Jesus called his disciples to go preach, you know you're going to preach it from Isaiah 52, 1 to 12. That's where they preached it from. When they said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, they were preaching Isaiah 52, 1 to 12. So he reminds them of his past deliverances. Therefore, he tells them in verse one, wake up and get dressed. Look at it with me again. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion, put on your beautiful garments. What are those beautiful garments? Those beautiful garments, church, are the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Get that in your head. Jesus certified that. We're going to read some New Testament quotes of this Old Testament passage. Paul preached that. Peter preached that. I'm preaching that. The beautiful garments that you have, whatever beautiful garments you have on, okay? (laughs) Metaphorically speaking, they come from Jesus Christ, who is our righteousness and gives us a new wardrobe. See, the problem with God's people is they saw tattered garments of slavery and sin and shame, and they complained against God. And God says, the garments are laid out for you, Al. Wake up, go in the bathroom and get dressed. That's what he says in verse one. I've laid them out for you. Have faith. See yourself the way I see you. See yourself the way you are if you are a Christian. Now, if you're not a Christian, I'm asking you now to consider the gospel. You have tattered garments on, you are in slavery, you are in exile. But if you're a Christian, no matter what you're thinking right now of the things you might have done, God sees you as righteous because you are clothed with the righteousness of Christ, the new wardrobe. The problem is, we don't pick it up and put it on daily. Now, if you're not a Christian, you pick it up and put it on. By God's grace alone, he gives you the understanding. You repent and believe. I hope you do that today. But if you're a Christian, pick it up and put it on. That's what these first six verses are all about. Listen, the hardest thing is to see myself and to see others as God sees them. Because I'm so aware of what I'm looking at right now in the mirror. And it's some of you. (laughs) But if your vision does not rise above the natural, and you're a Christian, you're missing a lot. I love this quote by Oswald in his commentary. It's on the screen. The challenge for defeated human beings is to dare to make that vision. What vision? God's vision. Gospel vision. Their own This is where the call to put on strength comes to fore. It takes a particular strength of faith to believe that God can give holiness for filth. It's hard when you're in bondage in Babylon, dressed in rags with no shoes on, to have a vision of beautiful robes. It's hard for you and me sometimes, right, when I look in the mirror. It takes a particular strength of faith to believe that God can give holiness for filth And beauty for ashes. It's hard when I'm eating ashes and the bitterness of my sin to think God can turn these ashes into beauty. But he can and he does. Your sin is not stronger than Christ's work on the cross. God will have his way. He will have his people. God fulfills his promise because that's who he is. But that is precisely, continuing with the quote, what he wants to do for us, when we recognize that, that we will be shaken out of our apathy and despair. What vision captures your heart? Is it your own vision for your life or God's vision for your life? Now, positive or negative, what excites you? What God says about you or what you say about yourself or other people say about you? See, this scripture is, let God's vision for your life, what God says about you, capture you and define you so that you're not defined by the very real sin that we all battle. You're not defined by the sins of others. Others aren't defined by that sin if they are Christians, but we're defined by God's call, by God's vision. Wake up and get dressed. It is the sovereign Lord who controls all things. It is the sovereign Lord who has spoken and acted. Will we believe him? Will we by faith daily wake up and pick up and put on the new wardrobe he has laid out for us in Christ? This is the gospel. Look at verse six. God says to them, it is I who speak. Therefore, my people shall know my name. And they're gonna know it's me. I'm the one who speaks. Who are you listening to? Who are you listening to? It is God that is speaking. He dresses you in Christ's righteousness church so that you might know his name and then go out to make his name known. See, the vision here, here's the gospel vision. Here's the gospel vision. Back in about 1400 BC, God has delivered Israel out of bondage. They were 400 years in bondage in Egypt as slaves, right? Moses, he constituted Israel as a nation at a place called Mount Sinai. He gave them the 10 commandments. Moses spoke the word to them. He said, you are my people. He gave them the system of sacrifices so that their sins would be forgiven so that they could relate to God. All of that points to Christ, by the way. Christ fulfills it all, okay? And he said at that time, uh, you are my possession. I'm going to make you my priest, a holy priesthood, a royal, a royal priesthood and a holy nation to represent me through all the earth. Okay? God's going to fulfill that. Fast forward to 500 or so BC, some 900 years later, they, are, they don't look like a royal priesthood and a holy nation. They look like a, an enslaved people in exile in filthy Babylon. But he says, I'm going to fulfill that word. And that all points to Jesus who came to die on a cross for the sins of his people so that he could constitute and fulfill that promise of a royal priesthood and a holy nation. It's exactly what Peter wrote in 1 Peter on the screen, 2-9. I believe Peter was thinking about these Old Testament passages I've just alluded to. This is what he says about you, church, because this is about us today. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. A holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness, out of, ba- out of Egypt, 1400 B.C., out of Babylon, 500 B.C., out of the clubs in 2017 A.D., out of my selfishness and anger and bitterness, fill in the blank, still doing it until he comes back called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And when God calls, we respond. God's call is irresistible. God's grace is unfathomable. God's mercy is more profound than your sin. God defines you, not your sin. Why do we wake up and get dressed? Point two, to go proclaim our God reigns. Verse 7 is this incredible picture that the ancient audience in 500 BC would have understood, but we have a little harder time understanding it. It's of this runner who is announcing something. So what happened is, in the 500s BC, back in the day, when Jerusalem was a walled city, let's say before it was destroyed, and even after, after it was destroyed. In fact, I love this picture. This picture here is of a bunch of rubble where the wall used to be, And I can still see watchmen standing on the rubble looking out. But think of it as a city intact. The walls are still there. And their army has gone out to fight against invaders. Let's say Assyrians. Let's say Babylonians. And the people are really, really nervous because two-thirds of their people are out there. The army is out there fighting. And back then, there were no other means of communication than runners. So there are watchmen always on the wall watching. When's the runner going to come? Is the runner coming with good news or is the runner coming with bad news? And then right behind the runner, because he's running from them, this army that's going to knock down our walls and violate our women and destroy everything and take everything we have. And the watchman is on the wall. The watchman is on the wall. The watchman's on the wall of our lives. The watchman's on the wall of history. Will God fulfill his promise to save his people? Though they're in exile, though they're in bondage, though they don't look very good today, though you and I may not look real great today. You look in the mirror and you go, but is God faithful? Look at verse seven. How beautiful upon the mountains Are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. He says that because their God has defeated their enemies. So he's running, he's running, he's running, he's running. Jerusalem's up on a hill and he's running up through the hills. I've been there. It's beautiful. It's a hilly area. He's running and they see him and they're wanting to hear, you know, what is he saying? He doesn't have time to give a detailed report of the battle. He'll do that once he gets in there, catches his breath, you know, has something to drink, whatever. But all he does, he sees the city and he throws his head back and he says, our God reigns. What that means is God has defeated our enemies. We're safe. Your your husbands and your fathers are coming back. Your sons are coming back. God's preserved us. And friends, the picture here is of us like that runner who are declaring to the world that our God reigns and that God has saved and defeated the enemies of his people, the enemies of Satan, sin, and death. We are those people. We are that runner with the beautiful feet. This is exactly, and by the way, the good news that we shout out, is the exact same good news that Isaiah shouts out in verse 7. That's exactly what this means because Paul quotes this text in Romans 10, 15. Look at it on the screen with me. He's speaking about sharing the gospel. This is an evangelistic passage. And how are they to preach? Where the they, unless they are sent. As it is written, and he quotes Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. The good news that Paul is referencing is the good news that Isaiah outlines for us in verse 7. It's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the same good news that Jesus sent his disciples out to teach in Matthew chapter 10. No time to look at it today, but he says, go out and preach the good news and preach this. What does he tell them to preach? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is come. It's the same thing that guy is saying. Our God reigns. Jesus has won the victory over Satan, sin, and death. The way Isaiah preaches it in verse 7 is he breaks it down into three aspects on the screen. Number one, peace. Number two, good. And number three, salvation. See, the good news here being preached is that God in Christ Jesus brings everything into right relationship. Firstly, right relationship with him, and then right relationship with one another. All things are fulfilled. Everything is completed in Christ. Next, the good. God restores creation to its purpose in Christ. Do you know the creation right now is groaning? Creation wasn't initially created to have hurricanes and venomous serpents and thorns. That came because of the fall. So creation is groaning. God's going to restore creation back to its original purpose. And thirdly, salvation. God in Christ delivers his people from the bondage of sin and death in Christ Jesus. This is the message Jesus sent the disciples out to preach. Remember, when he sent them out in Matthew 10, you look at it. You know what what he tells them to go do? Heal the sick, cast out demons, and they did it. But you're thinking to me, hey, Al, if this is the message, I hate to tell you this, but... All things haven't been reconciled into right relationship with one another. Like, I, had, I got in a fight with my wife on the way to church this morning. I'm not in right relationship with my boss. My neighbor keeps doing crazy things. I don't even know if I'm in right relationship with God. I came in laden with guilt. Correct. This is what's called the already, not yet, of the kingdom of God. The good news that our God reigns is true. Our God reigns. His kingdom has come in Christ. But the consummation of that, the final punto or period of that is when Christ returns. So starting today, we have a right relationship with God. But we still sin. We still fight against sin. But we have the assurance based on Christ's death and resurrection and ascension and the spirit that he sent that one day we will be like him. The earth groans today, but one day, one day, it will be restored. The earth, the heavens and the earth will be made new. Now, indulge my sanctified imagination. You'll be able to catch the biggest pompano you want. You'll you'll be able to go to the flats and you'll never get sunburned and you'll fish all day and you'll catch all that you like to catch and you'll fry it up. I'm going to have that house right on the beach. Prop the windows open, no AC, flip flops, shorts, camiseta. I hate the other word in English for it. You know, a camiseta, what the old Cuban men wear? And just, ah, and working. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I like to fish. Because we're gonna work in the new heaven. You know you're gonna work in the new heavens and new earth. God made you to work, but there's no more thorns, no more hurricanes, no more venomous snakes. Venomous snakes. It's easy for you to say. (laughs) and then finally salvation Jesus Christ has delivered his people from the bondage of sin and death oh yeah Al well tell that to Cynthia Ivan's cousin who gave birth to triplets over a week and a half ago and two of them died little Max and Mila in fact Ivan and I will be there this afternoon later in the afternoon for the funeral yeah they did And I weep over that. But let me tell you this, there's a resurrection. There's a resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there's hope of life. And so in the midst of my tears, even though I don't fully experience relational harmony, even though I don't fully see the the creation restored, even though there's a lot left undone and unfulfilled in my life, there's coming a day when all that will be done. And it's assured in Christ. See, that's the message to Israel in Babylonian captivity. I know you're in tatters now, but you're going to go back to the promised land. You're going to go back. You're going to be my holy people. Trust me. See it in faith. And so in verses 8 and 9, the people do that. Look at verse 8. The voice of your watchmen. They lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. Look at verse 9. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He's comforted us and he's redeemed Jerusalem. He's saying, Break forth into shouts and joy before it's actually happened. Because his word, the prophetic certainty, says that it's gonna happen. Therefore, act as if it's happened because it has happened. Because when God says something, it's happened. You're righteous in Christ. I know you're working it out, God's working it out. I got that. I'm reminded of that often. You're reminded of that with me, but it's a certainty. So we sing. That's why we sing in the mornings. That's why we jump up and down. We're not just trying to gin up some emotion. I'm thanking God for what he's done. I don't have this on the screen, but I love this quote. This is also from Oswald. The person praising God for what he or she does not yet possess is the person who truly believes the promises of God. Oh, God, I'll praise you when I get that thing that I'm asking you for. And the thing is, is, is a legitimate thing. No, no, the person says, I praise you now, God. I, I trust you for it. Though I'm crying right now, and it's appropriate to cry. We're going to grieve. It's a very sad funeral. The, the funerals that I've done, the funeral of an infant, uh, it doesn't get much sadder than that. But in my heart, I'm going to grieve as one with hope and pray that we can communicate that hope to Cynthia and her family and Ivan's family. See, church, we sing. We sing because though we sin, we're forgiven of our sins in Christ, Christian. We sing because though we're alienated from other people. And that's hard, man. When you're in conflict, that's hard. We can come to God and say, oh, God, I'm I'm singing to you. My heart's breaking. I'm nervous. I'm worried. My stomach's in a knot. But you give me the peace that passes understanding, guards my heart in Christ Jesus. We sing because he's redeemed us back to himself. Well, this salvation, this our God reigns that we proclaim in verse 10, it's it's from the, the Lord's Holy arm. See that in verse 10? The Lord has bared his holy arm. Holy arm is simply another way of describing God. God is holy. His holy arm is who he is. It's his character. It's his power. I think of Romans. I think Paul might have been thinking of this when he wrote in Romans 1. For the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. God's talking about holy arm there. God's character, God's power. Who can save us? Only God. You cannot save yourself. But God can, and he does freely because he loves you, not because you deserve it. Man, that's really good news. It's also, maybe again, this is a little sanctified imagination. I think of God, holy armies rolling up his sleeves. Only unlike me, he's got some serious biceps underneath the sleeves. (laughs) He saves his people, and then he sends his people out to proclaim our God reigns. How blessed indeed are the feet of those who proclaim this good news. I've been praying this last week, church, out of a place of just saying, God, please forgive me for my laziness and not sharing this good news. Give me the opportunity, Lord, to share the gospel to people this week. I want to be like that runner with beautiful feet. God restores us to himself. He calls us to himself. And then in verses in 11, 12, he says to us, like he says to Israel, come out from Babylon. Babylon in scripture is always a picture of the world. In Revelation, you see Babylon, the whore Babylon. It's, it's, Babylon's always spoken of as unclean, the, the world. It's, it's, a, it's a metaphor. Uh, and so he's saying, come out from amongst her. Come out. You're my holy people. Look, you may be living in Babylon right now, but don't adopt Babylon's ways. You may be living in Babylon right now, but don't adopt Babylon's ways. That's not who you are. Take off that garment. Put on the garment of holiness. I mean, Paul writes this all over the place in in the epistles. Colossians 3 is one example. Put off, put on. Be who you are. I'm not putting it on to make you think I'm something I'm not. That's horrible. I'm putting it on because that's my real clothing. So come out from her, verses 11 and 12. Again, he's evoking all these images of the Exodus come out from Egypt, but ultimately fulfilled in Christ. And I know this is true because Paul quotes this verse in the New Testament. On the screen, 2 Corinthians six seventeen, writing to the church in Corinth. And by the way, if anybody ever asks you what kind of church are you a part of, because we live in South Florida, gloriously, we're a Corinthian church, okay? Galatian church is uptight, you know, super legalistic, like somewhere up in, you know, like Alabama or Georgia somewhere. Okay, if you're from Alabama or Georgia, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, we are Corinth. We are getting drunk at communion. You know that, right? Paul had to write to the Corinthians and say, "Stop getting drunk at communion." They had wine, they were eating and getting drunk. Stop it all kinds of sexual immorality, all kinds of stuff. But that doesn't define us, church. We're not defined by that. But God does give us a serious word. Look at it, 2 Corinthians 6, 17. Therefore, church in Corinth, church in Miami Lakes, church in South Florida, go out from their midst and separate from them, says the Lord, and he quotes here Isaiah 52, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. God here calls us to put on, to wake up, get dressed, and proclaim our God reigns and to come out from the midst of them to be who we are, to be who we are. So church, that's the appeal. Will you wake up and get dressed? Will you pick up and put on the new wardrobe of Christ's righteousness that is yours, dear Christian? Will you believe what God says about you? And what he says about others in Christ. Will you see yourself and them as God sees them? Will you reject the evil accusations of the enemy of your soul and other souls and trust in God and his proclamation over you in Christ? Will you shake off the dust of your lethargy and believe that he is changing you and us and us as a church? So how do you see yourself? What's your identity? Who are you? Who are you? And then wake up, get dressed, and proclaim our God reigns. Go out and share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, singing with joy that Christ has comforted you, and he's redeemed you, and he's restored you back to himself. He's restored the wastelands of the waste places of our life. And bear testimony of that. And come with much faith each Sunday. To sing loudly before the eyes of all the nations and the ends of the earth that they may see our God's salvation in Christ. Friends, let us come out of the filth of Babylon. Let us live in the holiness of our God. Let us trust that he goes before us. That last verse, verse 12, for the Lord will go before you and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. He's evoking images of the Exodus. When Israel came out as a bunch of slaves, two million slaves, they were being chased by the most powerful army in the world. God was their rear guard. The Egyptians couldn't get at them. God went before them. is a picture of the gospel. Jesus is the good shepherd. He goes before us into death. He rose from the dead to make a way for us, and He guards our rear. He's our rear guard. No one can sneak up on you. No one. You can sleep at night trusting your God. Let us rejoice in the Lord. Let us sing of His triumph in Christ. Let us pray. Worship team, would you join me here up front? Father, I pray that you would give us now a vision of yourself. Lord, I pray that, that we would build our lives on what you say about us and about others and not on what we say about ourselves or what others say about us. Lord, I pray that this song we're about to sing would really be our heart. That we would say, Lord, you are worthy of every song we could ever sing. You are worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. You are worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. God, every breath is a gift from you. Oh God, every breath I take is a gift from you. So I live for you. Jesus, you're the name above every other name. Jesus, you're the only one that can save. We're done with our false saviors and our false idols and the little idols we factor, we create in our hearts and think that we'll be safe because of something I can do or earn or be or say. We, we stop trying to be better than what we are and we simply rest in who we are in you and we trust you. You've saved us. You preserve us. You go before us. You're our rear guard. (sighs) Let us proclaim our God reigns. Lord, if there are those here that don't know you, would you reveal yourself to them right now? In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to find out more resources or see how you can donate to this ministry, simply visit palmvista.org. And be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date with upcoming teachings.